You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from stuartgoldsmith.co.uk. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode one of the Comedian's Comedian. My name's Stuart Goldsmith. I'm a stand-up comic... And I'm, I mean, that's an attempt already not to say the word comedian any more times than we absolutely have to, uh, given the title. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a comedian. It's great. And I've been doing it for about seven years. And something I've realised is that I have never done any official training in comedy. Um, some comics go on a course when they start off. A lot of people do. A lot of people don't. Um, and... I just realised that I was working full-time in a profession for which I'd received no training at all. So my initial idea with this show was uh, it it wasn't going to be broadcast. It was just going to be almost a masterclass where I would invite comedians who I love and think are great and think I could learn something from and maybe go and uh, organise almost a gig whereby they could talk to other comics of my level or sort of similar um, and tell us how they do it. And it would be like training. It would be like boot camp. Um, I think that would be a great idea. I still do. So if anyone's interested in doing that, get in touch with me. But uh, I approached a couple of people and they all said similar things, which was that, God, no, I don't have any methodology. I don't have anything that I'd be prepared to to deliver to people. And I just sort of thought, although they might think that, that can't really be true. I mean, everyone has a way of doing things that to them just seems really obvious and not worth mentioning. Um, But it's it's definitely it's them it's uniquely them and there are certain rules I follow when I when I'm writing jokes or trying to um and also I'm interested in how people make a life for themselves once you get to the stage of being paid full-time that's the first main goal is to get paid the second main goal is to get paid full-time and then the third goal is what it's just out there it's like what massive you know the sky's the limit with this industry so massive tv success or whatever you've got to also get more realistic goals along the way. Now, a decent goal, I think, is to get better. So this show is uh, is really just an attempt for me to grab individual comics and get them to tell me who they are and what they do, and more specifically, how they write. Um, I'm not so interested in this show in, in the why, although we will talk a bit to each, uh, each person about uh, how they got started. But what I'm really interested in getting uh, a, a grip on is each person's unique style and you can use the word methodology if you want that's not a great word it's a bit of a scary word I quite like the way it sounds but it's a it's a bit hoity-toity really I just I'm just trying to find the things that comedians take for granted in how they write their own stuff sort of in in the in the on the basis I can I try and share it with the world and also sort of so I can learn from it and and try and get better at comedy 
So uh, that's that's the point of the show. This is, I said, this is episode number one, and uh, it's with Rob Deering, who's an excellent comedian, someone I'm really excited by. I, I'm doing an initial series of six, I think, for this this run, and um, I've tried to pick people who have contrasting styles, uh, but also people who I think have a, an intelligence to their comedy, something that suggests they they really think about it. But equally, there <laughs> equally we'll also be talking to people who are trying to get away from thinking about it and being more natural and spontaneous. So Rob is is guest number one, and uh, he's just brilliant. I, I I don't want to sort of sing his praises now, uh, much as I love him, because uh, you're about to listen to him for an hour, and it is an hour. Uh, I could have made it shorter, but I don't know the first thing about editing. I'm sort of learning on the go, um, so uh, at the moment it's staying an hour. I sort of think this is this is the sort of podcast I would like to listen to whilst driving to gigs and back from gigs. And frankly, there's a, a lot of road hours need using up. So uh, if it seems too long and unwieldy in the future, I'll try and cut it down. Perhaps you could email me uh, at info at stuartgoldsmith.co.uk, Stuart with a UA, uh, and tell me your your feedback on the show and how long you think it should be and where you think the apostrophe should go. I mean, come on, is it is it the comedian belonging to the comedians or a comedian belonging to a comedian singular? So it's very confusing. So, uh, yes, yeah, so this is Rob. This is his thing. Um, we are going to talk about all sorts of stuff. We're going to talk about his, his process, about how he circles around an idea, how he inspires himself to improvise uh, the moments that, uh, well, that I would call sort of instigating crisis on stage deliberately so that you have to come up with something. But uh, it, it's interesting talking to Rob and, uh, and hearing how he would phrase ideas that I think are probably similar between us uh, very differently and, and think about them with a whole different mindset. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, his musical comedy as well, uh, and also how you cope with being a comedian. So that that's the score, and um, I should say as well, this is filmed. The first two episodes of this series are filmed. They're not filmed! I think I say on the second one that it's filmed. It's not. So when you get to the second episode, don't write in, because clearly you've not listened to this bit. Uh, they're both recorded uh, before a live studio audience at the Top Secret Comedy Club. Um, which is a brilliant comedy club in Covent Garden. So many thanks to Mark Rothman for letting us uh, record there. And this is filmed before... It's not filmed! This is recorded before an audience, which I should say is very, very small. They're an extremely small audience, and uh, but they were they were warm and willing, and they, they gradually grew larger throughout the show. I think that's all I have to tell you. I hope you enjoy it. And, um, yeah, here it is, episode one. <laughs> Hello. So, uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome you, the listener. Uh, I'm told you need to refer to the listener as an individual, don't well, you? Well, I can perceive the listener as an individual. <laughs> can you perceive them now for us? It will take a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, thanks for listening to this. Thanks for downloading this and uh, other things that I will probably put on afterwards put some trousers on for goodness sake yes there it is it's a radio joke (laughs) we are both naked um so uh uh welcome uh this uh, rob deering is a comedian that i've worked with on several occasions and Mm -hmm. you were someone who i worked with when i was very new sort of five well i was gonna say work with is all well and good but what we really did is the 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 comedian's uh um, apprenticeship which is our first gig together was really far away yes it was so by the time we'd driven there and back we'd not only found out each other's life stories but we'd also had a number of really quite interesting adventures we did interesting adventure number one first first thing you need to understand about our trip to it was swansea swansea yeah um was unusually in the world of comedy uh 
Rob was doing the driving. It's normally down to the uh, the the what's the word inferior, minor, newer act. Newer, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, it's normally down to the newer act to do the driving. But uh, I was quite taken aback, and Rob said, "Hey, man, I'll drive. I've got a a nice car." Mm-hmm. Oh, those might not have been your exact words, but you did have a nice car. Yep. And uh, and so Rob drove us to Swansea, and I thought, "Hey, but that was an incredibly nice and unnecessarily nice thing to do." And then uh, on the way there, the two things, the two key things I remember um, <laughs> were that you said, "Rob, it should be said, is an incredible." Incredible, uh, incredibly voracious um, consumer of culture. You love stuff that is made by people. That's true. And you lo- you have an opinion on anything yes. and everything, and your yeah. opinion is immediately contactable. Uh, Rob Deering, how do you feel about Harry Potter? I love it. There Fantastic. You see, it's, it's as quick as that. Um, but uh, you said to me, why don't you play me some of your tunes? And so I played on my iPod through your car stereo, uh, maybe as many as four or five different tunes. That different I artists, thought were different albums. Wildly quite, different. Theoretically quite diverse stuff. Yeah, <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> and, then, and then you said to me, all uh, oh, right, um, judging from those, you like this kind of music, these kind of films, these books, and you like, named authors and movies. I and I went, oh my God. Too. My blood sugar was probably low if I skewered your whole taste in No, but you, did, I mean, you didn't so much skewer it as, as just sort of go, this is exactly what you like, and you absolutely nailed it wow. based on the basis of what I thought was some really, you know, eclectic, hey, I'm into all kinds of, hey, there's a bit of They Might Be Giants, there's a bit of uh, Death Cab for Cutie. They're the same thing. Oh, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that was lovely. And then, on the way back, uh, when we left the petrol station, I um, got into the car, briefly put my snacks and wallet on the roof of the car, and then we drove away, and, uh, and then we had to go back and pick up all of those things. Yes, it was, <laughs> we'd gone about two miles, and you said, can you pass me my cookies? And I went, you didn't give them to me, mate. And you went, no, I did. <laughs> and we were driving along, and we both had that moment of joint realisation of, well, if they're not there, <laughs> then they must be on the route behind us. And it was a really good adventure, because we, uh, we had to come off at the next junction, go back to the services find a way over the motorway drive around a gate yeah. through a ditch up awesome. a no entry road into the back of the garage and then there was a brilliant kind of Hansel and Gretel trail of, and they went in terms of lightness and importance so first of all near the pumps there were some snacker jacks great found those <laughs> oh a bit further on is that a pasty or a sandwich yeah. and then right on the flipping chevrons onto the M4 you got out and got it was my wallet which had been run over yeah. uh, but it was still full of money and you got it back yeah there we go. come on come still on pretty pleased with that there it is that, for the we listener high-fived. that was a high five I'd like to talk to you about lots of things to do with comedy and something you mentioned when you came in and I said, hey, we'll talk about that and you went, hmm, will we? Mm. Is uh, the lifestyle of a comedian and how you cope with it. Something I was considering saying at the beginning of this podcast is that uh, if regular listeners to the podcast, if it becomes a regular thing, and Mm -hmm. I hope it does, uh, might be able to sort of listen back to the questions I'm asking and paint kind of a picture of my neurotic approach to comedy. So I wanted to open with a question like, Rob, how on earth do you cope with the insane isolation of comedy yeah i mean i i think when it comes down to it i don't know this is definitely me rather than everyone else but i think that ultimately in comedy i trade off uh the kind of core social group that real people have yeah. for a rather wider social group that is everyone yes um i.e all comic audiences anywhere plus people off Facebook and people off Twitter. I don't know if I just imagine that. And I don't know if... Maybe everyone thinks, oh, I've only got two friends, but everyone else has got loads of friends. And maybe as you get older... You know, obviously, you can only really count as your friends the people you get time to spend time with. We should should say, for the benefit of non-comedians, I mean, most of you, I think, 
but perhaps people listening at home won't know comedians socially. But it, it's a kind of a bizarrely, it can be a very bizarrely isolating job because you work different hours to everyone else and it's very difficult to have a relaxed Sunday on a Wednesday. That's right, you can't do it, you can't do it because everyone knows the days of the week, they stay the same no matter what you do. And yet on the other hand, you've got old friends and you say, it's on Saturday in three weeks, so will you come? And you say, no, of course I won't, I work yeah. Saturdays. I, I mean, it's I, I found happen. when I started comedy, it was kind of cool for the first couple of years to go, oh no, I can't come to your birthday because I've got a gig. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, three years down the line, they don't ask anymore because they assume no, you've got a right. gig. And I quite have happily in turn will be at a gig and then have a drink with some strangers who I'll never see again and you think do oh, you do that, that? I never do that yeah no I do that <laughs> no, gonna... I think that's, that is healthy that's healthier than it sounds like. yeah I don't know I don't know I mean it is that thing is it depends how much you're trying to soak up the joy of being the kind of guy on stage you know because yeah. when it comes down to it when you, when you first meet someone off stage you say yeah it was really great and you go thanks very much and then that's you're the guy off stage but yeah. if you stay I don't know it only takes I, th- I would say about eight minutes yeah. and then suddenly you're just strangers talking to each other Absolutely. and that does not carry the same magic at all no and then you've got acts are really good at that though i think some acts can come off and go hey i mean i heard a story about an act which who will remain nameless who came off stage after bantering that's going to really knacker his or her career though isn't it what's that then remaining nameless (laughs) 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 always working always (laughs) Um, but he came off stage and said to a group of people he'd been bantering with so where are we going Do you know what I mean? And it's just, oh, that's like awful. Yeah, that's... Got, and I, I'm so passionate that I don't want to be that. So normally, I, when I come off stage, I'll go, right, that's me, and I'll get the hell out as soon as I... Yeah, I would go down the middle, you see. I'd like to extend... And, and this is true in my, you know, in my, my sort of body of work in comedy. I like to extend it. I'd rather talk to... That's why it's nice. I mean, for all the kind of... Uh, um, career um progression of doing things like uh you know sort of the tv things that we can do like talking about things or being on panel games i like Mm. them because you get to be your stand-up self Mm -hmm. off stage and off script yes Um, and i like that to get as far as it can towards my day-to-day life so you know so talking to people i don't know is is part of it for me we're even on the internet in the middle of the day um, <laughs> You're quite a prolific Facebook user as well. Yeah, I think, and I you, think, I think you and Paul Sinha are the two comics with whom I'm friends on Facebook who most like. You're very fond of going, "Hey, what's this line from?" And you'll you'll have like yeah, a thousand and comments. It's, and I just it. really enjoy it. And uh, and I think that the thing is, I think people think, "Oh, what could I do?" It's it is social networking, but you can't. You've got to. You've got to want to. You know, I do mm. it because I want to, not because I think that it will help yeah, promote sure. the Deering brand. And uh, because you couldn't, you can't fake that up. You can't talk yeah. about rubbish for your whole life sure. <laughs> just as a form can of PR you <laughs> well yeah, obviously you can yeah. um, but then uh, the other going right back to your question of how do you have a social life you know I am you know I'm 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 in my late 30s I mean really late um, <laughs> it's actually it's your birthday in two days isn't yeah, it yeah but this it's still I'm still be in my late, still 30s. In your late 30s okay. um, <laughs> um, uh, and I've got you know I've got a family I've got a wife and two children so between yes, that that's cheating as far and, as I'm well concerned. it kind of is but it also means that that's between that and comedy that is my social life and I'm yes. into that really yes. every now and again I think oh I should go to a casino <laughs> I don't ever think that <laughs> I don't know where that example came from but um, never been we should go um, uh, but, I'm, I'm doing know, a gig in one in literally two hours Excellent. Enjoy. Let's not go. I've done it before. Yeah. It's, it, the gig's nice, but you are in a casino. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did one before, and it was very croupy, but I think your one will be croupier. <laughs> oh, well, that's two. That's working. two. There we go. <laughs> um, so, so, so talking about the, the fact that you, as a comedian with a wife and, and two small children, yes. um, pre-wife and two small children, 
how different was your approach to socialising with comedians? Did you do did you do the hanging out after a gig thing then? No, only in as much as you do uh, when you're on tour anyway. I mean, I love that. I love that. That's the and us driving to Swansea is the nice thing is the middle ground because other comedians you do you do have a shared experience and so you can you either you're kind of automatically friends uh-huh. and then that yeah. falls to the point where you actually are friends yep. or you think oh no I'm with so and so this weekend um, <laughs> but but you never I don't know and this is I think true. Uh, it's a bit like the more slightly more immature friendship you, you have like when you uh, are a student or people you live with and stuff where you're just thrown in together and you see what happens and that's what's great I, I don't often find the time to socialise with comedians deliberately and it's lovely when I do yeah. but um, really what's fun about it is just turning up in a dressing room on like Thursday night yeah. and thinking okay so it's so and so and so and so or particularly yeah. these days where it will be like off around the world so you get to literally get to the airport to spend 10 days in Thailand and only when you're in the lounge you're like oh it's going to be with that man and that man and I know him and I like him and I've never met him before but he seems a good guy and, and, then, and hey I already know that guy so maybe it won't be uh, exactly and it kind know, of I've got an ally uh, and then you go and have adventures <laughs> Just as a bit of uh, background to you and your body of work and, and what have you, is, uh, uh, which we haven't already done, um, you've been going for how long? Uh, so kind of um, 10 years. Okay. Official. Let's, uh, I mean, I can be more boring than that. I dabbled. I've be always, more boring. That's very much. I've, always, podcast I've always done performancey things, and it was kind of a bit of a surprise that I didn't think of it earlier. I was in mid to late 20s, as I say. I'm very, very far into my 30s now. I mean, really, <laughs> whoa, I can see the end. Um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, and then I, I got stumbled into stand up and it was like, oh, I could do this. So I'd been warming up for it for a long time doing, you were, like, you were in a band, theater and education and music and acting and just anything performancey, mm-hmm. no proper jobs. And then, and then, so I never had that moment, which will come up yeah. where people, um, have to give up, the, like give up their life to go and do stand up. I never had that either. I, 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 I never had that. There's, there's certainly people who have, when I started doing stand up, I had no idea. I was from a theater background and then a street performing background and I had no idea that there were stand-ups who hadn't always wanted to perform their whole life mm-hmm. and the circuit is absolutely full of people isn't it who were who were properly an accountant and used to make their mates laugh in the pub and went and got drunk one night and went oh I'll go for it and then their life radically changed yeah that's right which is leads to this kind of epiphany moment which yeah we haven't had because this is just what we fancied doing anyway <laughs> so um, we're just peddling yeah <laughs> sorry everyone um so yeah, and then I dabbled, and then I started. I started my first open spot. So I'd had, a, I'd done a few gigs, and thought I don't want a hobby, and it can't be my job. So I didn't. But I'd, I'd sort of had a toe in the water. But then I thought, no, I've got some better jokes now. I'm going to give this a go. And my first open spot was in the first like week of the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So actually, no, we're into like 11, 12 years now. Okay. Um, and were you the point at which you went right? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do an open spot. Was that something you had to? Did you book it in advance and then get nervous about it, or did you think this has to happen now? Um, no, I've, I, I, I'm quite in. And again, in, a, in other, I'm quite good at that. I'm quite good at making that phone call and say I want to do this, and then the person says yes, come and arrive at this time, and then after that, I go. Oh, what am I- but uh, once you know it's basically a bit of split personality I'll set myself up and then I can wander around panicking about it for weeks it doesn't matter I think that's the only way to start one of my first ever open spots I phoned them up uh, I was going through timeout thinking I'd love to try this out and I phoned at the Cosmic uh, Comedy Club in Hammersmith not there anymore and that was a really tough 
You, do you know that's before? No, that was, that was before me. Horrible. And, uh, you <laughs> it's go lovely down, that you can say that now, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that one was horrible. Well, no, that's the point. nice thing. You don't realise that. about being The thing about being an open spot is it's much harder than being a proper comedian. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. It really is. Because people say, oh, it's terrifying. And they think, imagine how scary it would be to be in front of a room full of people like late at night. It's like, yeah, but a room full of people late at night are all expecting to have a good time. They've been warmed up by all the other acts. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to like an open, a new act night on, uh, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, Wednesday, there's not very many people there and they all expect you to be bad mm-hmm. and you can you might think oh it's okay because they're friends and they'll that's so they'll be supportive you can't be supportive it's purer than that you, you if it's funny it's funny and if it's not if it's not and you're nice then you just sit there going oh I and that's a, not a good audience i did a, a, a clown shop uh, a clown shop a clown workshop a, a clown shop. <laughs> yeah i went to the clown <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, that chuckles with a, a fabulous uh, lady <laughs> called Peter Lilly, mm-hmm. and uh, she has this thing about. She said, "Don't be a hypocrite." We had to frequently break off into twos or little groups, and she's okay. You be the audience. You be performing. And it's very, very important. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't smile weakly. Don't laugh to help your person along because mm-hmm. that's not the reality of performance. I exactly. It, yeah. It can't be because of that, and that's a great thing about it. And that's why open spots are horrible because really you've got these people who are trying to help and that makes them act weird. And that's <laughs> yeah, yeah that's totally right. But anyway, it was, so it was a cosmic and I phoned him up and this would be my first ever gig. It would be, I don't know, like long, even longer ago. We were probably talking 15 years ago. And I phoned him up on a Tuesday and I said, I wondered if you've got any open spots. And they said, have you done any gigs? I said, yeah, I've done loads of gigs, which was a lie. Yeah. And they said, can you come tonight? I said, yeah, I'll come tonight. Wow, nice. So then, and you know, then I spent all afternoon, A, phoning my friends and saying, come to this gig, and B, making up some jokes. Because I didn't have any. Okay. Uh, And then I I phoned one of my friends, said, I want to do stand-up as well. And I said, well, they've got spots. I mean, she said, she literally said, do you you know anyone else? And I said, quick, phone them up, you could get a spot as well. And he phoned up and said, yeah, uh, uh, do you want to get spots? And she said, yeah, what have you done? And he went, oh, I haven't really done anything. And he didn't get a spot. He he, he didn't bullshit or anything. And in the back of Rob Deering's mind, some learning happened. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on a minute. And, uh, you know, and and obviously I thought that would be, and that never happened again, but it was the, a key moment and uh, that's, all, that's always the way I've done it and then I'll, it's like I do, do that now, even now I'm just I'm on a tour I started a tour yesterday which is exactly that I phoned up a bunch of venues it's like my mini tour on the year when I don't tour so I thought I'd phone up the nicest venues I really mm-hmm. like this and is your Christmas show it's my Christmas show yeah. um, and I phoned them up no so it's a Christmas show so I phoned them up in you know early spring and they said yeah come along and then other me turns around in autumn and says thanks <laughs> just back for the Edinburgh Festival and I've got to make up a brand new show in two months. <laughs> you bastard. Yeah. Um, so that's how, that's how but I that, I think that, that pressure, saying you bastard to yourself, God, now I've got to do it, means now you have to do it. And I think, I think sometimes, uh, and I will, we'll talk about, uh, about writing and about making up jokes, mm-hmm. and I sometimes think some of the best writing I do is on stage because I'm, I, have to, I have to come up with something funny. Yeah. Far more so than if I'm sat in a room on my own trying to think of funny things. Even trying to think of funny things for half an hour and then ringing a friend and telling them, I suddenly put all these instinctive tags and punchlines exactly. on the, the, the utter rubbish that I've written. You. You've written something, you get on stage and you say it, and you say, I don't want to stay, say this, I'm pretending to make this up. Whereas yeah. you, you, you're on stage and off stage, voice really different. But I think it's more, um, for me, I think, again, it's different for different people. But for me, I think creatively, it's easier to answer questions than ask them so like mm. the blank page when you think oh what shall I say yeah nothing ever is what yeah. the answer to that question is going to be whereas if you say that's another reason why doing things like um, that people are cynical about like panel games and things is really good if they give you a list of things to make jokes about yes. and you have to have them done in a couple of hours 
then generally, yeah, you might make up 30 jokes, but three of them will be great and you'll be telling them for years. Um, and you could have sat in, in that couple of hours in your room going, oh, and you wouldn't have come up with anything. Answering questions is, either than, is, is, is easier than asking them. So you need to, as you get to writing from a sort of blank slate perspective, you need to fake it up. You need to say, mm-hmm. well, I'll do a show about this. What's it about? What would be in it? And then kind of basically create spaces that you have to then fill in with jokes. So let's talk then about your process going from, I mean, you're making a show at the moment. Your process is you go, there we go. I'm at the blank slate phase. Mm-hmm. What do you do? How do you wrangle things into existence? <laughs> I like that phrase, by the Thank way. You. <laughs> Give me a minute. I just need to wrangle some things into existence. <laughs> that, that, that's effectively how it works. Isn't it? So you you start. I mean, are you starting for your Christmas show? Are you starting with nothing, or are you going? Okay, well, I know what the close is, or I've, I've got that opener and I can adapt it. Or are yeah, you going, I don't right, know. See, already I can. It's hard to remember. I mean, I have and I have just written it. Uh, there, there, it is. There's a lot of that creating opportunity thing um, because. Uh, you know, like you say, it's better to write on stage. Mm-hmm. So I, often I'll come up with a comic idea and I'll think I will say something about that. So it's like a shopping list of jokes I might make up rather than an actual joke. But then other times you'll sit down and be all inspired and write for ages. Mm-hmm. But you'll rarely end up with something that sounds like what you'll end up saying. And yeah. also it always percolates. And that's true of everyone. Everyone will back that up. You, you, you write... You write all this stuff, and then 10% of it is good. But when you're writing it, it never feels like that. Of course, you don't write something and then on that day think, well, most of this is rubbish. You think it's all brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> that's, the, that's some, some of the most upsetting things. When you go, I've got it. I've, I've bloody got this. Thank goodness I've this written is, this. This is incredible. Up and I you get. write three pages of it, and you go, there we go. And you get up, and you, you can just feel it go, no, what, 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 was I, what was I thinking? How was I ever thinking It's different people any of this. different heads. And, and often, sometimes you think, not only do you think that isn't funny, you sometimes think, what was the joke? What did I think was going to be funny about That's, this? That reminds me of the, the classic moment when, uh, like years ago, I tried to write jokes with my friend Hutch, and we would go, we'd go, well, when are we funny? So you'd when, run down to the car and you'd jump and slide across the bonnet. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No high five for you. Um, but... Uh, uh, we would we would think when are we funny? Well, we're funny in the pub. We're funny when we're relaxing. We're funny when we're having a drink. Got it. Let's get smashed and write loads of jokes. And then of course what happens is you look at the next morning. You look at it. You go, oh, we were brilliant. What notes did we write? And there's a piece of paper with lobster question mark. And and you just what what was it? There was definitely something. Yeah. And at that time also you don't realise something that you come back to much later on, which is how much more funny something is um, for an audience if they know that either you've just made it up or it very much relates to them and the gig you're at. Yes. Yes, we'll we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit. But in terms of the the process of you wrangling things into existence. Yes. So do you have, uh, are you disciplined about, okay, now I'm writing time? Do you have an office? Do you sit down and go, right, now I'm going to write? What, uh, what's, in, in a week, what's your, what's your writing? Yeah, no, I don't, I, in a week, I would let myself off. I allow a lot um, <laughs> of time these days for circling. So I think, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that in the end. I'm going to okay. do that in the end. And then eventually you get to the point where you have to do it and you sit down with it and you, you meant to spend a week on it and you do it in an hour. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're always wanting to and you're kind of circling the ideas, then that hour will always be valuable. Otherwise, you'll, you'll just end up sitting there thinking, well, I haven't got anything. And I don't, I don't have time in my life, and I don't know whether this is uh, good or bad, but I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't sit down at 9 o'clock every morning and write some jokes, and I don't uh, go and try out jokes at new act nights or anything. Mm. I just generally try and... Uh, no, it's much vaguer than that. And the most inspiring thing I can do is find time to, because I use all these pedals and guitar stuff, is to find time to rehearse. 
mm-hmm. and then I'll do music without comedy. I was just, you know, I was just thinking to, to myself, jokes. this is great. You mean I don't need to get up and write jokes anymore? Roster, oh, bollocks, you do music, don't you? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's, um, so you, you play music and you get inspired by doing music, or you rehearse, you, you practice music on a regular basis? Yeah, more and more. Again, it's all about creating, finding the time to do it and having a mm-hmm. go at it and having a little thing. I mean, another thing is, in the way that I do comedy, is that I don't... Um, I don't really hold with, I mean, other people do it and they do it well, but I don't, I don't like being completely the, I don't like being the agenda setter. So there's only certain things I can talk about. I don't like saying, I'm going to talk about this. You can get on stage and say, so, castles, what about those ramparts? I, I could only do that joke yeah. if I was in a town with a castle in it. Yes. And that basic principle of needing there to be a reason to be talking about what I'm talking about runs through everything. There's no joke, there's no subject I can introduce and joke about, no matter, no matter how funny it is, unless it's already on the table. I mean, okay. those, there's loads of subjects on the table. You know, I mean, first of all, you've got, as you said about me, there's popular culture, so there's all of popular culture. We all know Harry Potter, pop records, Christmas, that's why I've got a Christmas mm-hmm. show. We all know all about that. And then if it's going to get autobiographical, then great, let's do that. But it has to be kind of relevant, so I want to talk about the things about me that you're going to want to know about and things Mm. like that. So basically it's all, there needs to be a stuff that we should talk about rather than, I can't just pluck it out of the air. Turn up and go, nectar cards. Exactly. Go for it. Okay. So, but if something does come about in the audience, someone, you ask someone a question, I mean, do you, you chat to the audience? Do you ask questions or? I love, um, uh, I'll ask very, I'll ask very, uh, not leading questions that can lead anywhere, but questions that would definitely get an answer. Yes. So not a completely open question. Sure. You want so kind like, of a provocative, example, like on Facebook, I like asking questions like, "Which is the best?" Da da da. Yeah. So there's always going to be an answer. I mean, obviously, so people chuck things at you. I would actually fill something in that da 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 is a that's three yeah. dots. I mean, I <laughs> Which is the best da da da? Three dots. I mean, what's going to be? The, what's a better da 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 than three dots? <laughs> For goodness' sake. But and you're hoping then that this, or you're expecting that this, will stimulate some kind of interesting or provocative answer. That then you go, okay, now there's something on the table yeah. we can have a conversation about. And also it. in terms of gigging, gradually over time that becomes material. Okay. Because if you make up something good or something kind of real happens, then then you keep it. That's okay. Sure. And then there's other, again, adding in the music. There's things that are rehearsed, so they won't be made up on the spot. But it's nice to find organic ways of getting to them. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, so something I'm doing at the moment, um, re-Edinburgh, I'm planning to do an Edinburgh show again next year. It will be my third one. And my take on the whole writing thing is I come away from, from the previous Edinburgh and in September, or I have a week off, mid-September, I think to myself, right, I've got to start writing next year's hour now because otherwise 
it's miles away, and what if I don't do it in time? So I need but the longest possible run. Isn't even sli- and then that, you're absolutely right because it takes ages. That ten percent thing always you can't start late. It's got to have the time to percolate down. Yeah, exactly. It? Or does it? I mean, there's a famous story of Phil Nickel writing his Perrier Award-winning show on the train on the way up. Yeah, well, that's and that's something. Uh, he, and, although he may have been percolating. And I think he's kind of, year. he's like an artist. Who knows? Yeah, he's been circling. There's a, there's yeah. circling. There's circling, and then there's percolating. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I have done uh, quite a lot of gigs recently at the new comedy store in India, in Mumbai. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's really interesting because it's a really exciting place to do comedy because it's, it's just really good. It's, it's all positive because it's good and nice. And there's loads of people there and they like all the jokes. But on the other hand, it's a brand new comedy scene. So people are just excited about stand-up in a way that's just pretty much unimaginable in London. Okay. And uh, particularly in London, uh, as opposed to the rest of Britain, where sometimes yeah. people are saying, oh, this will be good. We're really excited about this. And you go, oh, you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you've got these people, and they're up for it, and they're there, and they're an audience. But they're also like, oh, stand-up, imagine that. And if you're uh, uh, an Indian uh, comic, then you can do jokes about, like, government or popular music or or telly or films and the moment you take the piss out of anything everyone goes ah because it's like the first time anyone has so yeah. there's this kind of pure oh thrill ride element of it and that's just it's just great and uh, and I, you, you know it means that when i go there i just think oh i've got to watch some films so that i can do some jokes about it. <laughs> um but and then the, and the great downside of that the sort of positive negative is that you realise that on the UK circuit you've got these basic cynicisms about stand-up that we all sort of touch on. Mm -hmm. For example, doing a joke about what you look like Mm-hmm. But then, like a meta joke about what you look like. So saying so, 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 so and so's let himself go, and that so and so isn't someone you look anything like. Yeah, that this is that, just for the benefit of the listener who may not have seen this. Uh, that this is happens. something that is very, very. Perfect. And you could do that on stage in Leicester, or whatever, and that would work well. Yeah. And you did it on stage in Mumbai, and everyone's like, well, "He doesn't look like that person." <laughs> Good. There's a higher bar there. That's, that's right, excellent. That's right. and, and then things like negative things, like a little bit of commentary, or oh, you didn't like that one. It's like they go, oh, no, we didn't like that one. It's just pure negative, you know? It's so you, you have to be positive. You have to just celebrate. And that's really good. But um, going back to the thing about writing and focusing down and percolating, is you notice that all these really good new acts, it, they're, they're sort of new acts because they can't have been doing that long because comedy's just been invented. But they're good and they're doing 20 minutes in this lovely club. Mm-hmm. But they're very different. There's, there's, they change the material a lot more. And often, in a, not particularly, um, uh, in a funny way, but they'll take a long time to get to a joke. And you notice that the positives about the UK circuit and the long kind of writing time is that you boil jokes down and you crack on and you, and you find the good ways, the non-dull ways of being repetitive, yeah. of, of getting the same laughs in the same way day after day. That's what you get from long writing time and doing lots of gigs, is to be able to find the same quite neat little hopefully hilarious moment and find it in the same way again the next day can you something i was i didn't ask you about before um was the possibility can you give us an example of what you mean something from your set you didn't i don't mean in a kind of a hey performing it way but (laughs) well you mean something that i always say the same that's always uh that's well yeah something that you either find freshness in it or something that's structurally different because i think it's an important point about boiling things down there are certain formulae that i think it uh exist in my mind that i think to myself um not not as in kind of x plus y equals laugh but more there are certain rules that i try and follow like i might look at a situation and go okay and there's something Stuart lee's been talking about recently but uh, you know saying where's the jeopardy 
in yeah. this where's the jeopardy in this story what's the what's the danger what's the excitement you know or, or things like um, putting the funniest word at the end of the sentence yeah do you I, know mean, what I mean do you subscribe to any things like that or do you not think it's really all... i mean i do the only way i do that is i watch my, i see what i did and i try and uh, and repeat it so i'll often take a joke i've done and try and make up another one the same but okay. the first one i didn't have any plan sure so the only thing i'm trying to imitate is myself i keep uh, i keep spotting myself doing that's like a cross between X and Y. And every time I do it, it came out naturally the first time. And every time I do it since, I've had some really nice ones recently. But part of me goes, oh, it's formulaic, isn't it? Yeah, there you I go. found that. Oh, no, I can, oh, I'm doing it again. <laughs> no, but I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I like to, I mean, I, I, I will, if I can think of any, I'll, I'll tell you. Because I think the thing is, you want it to be fresh, but there are good way, there are clever ways of being fresh with stuff you're. As long as you think it's good and you and you th- and you find it funny and you're enjoying it and telling it in that moment, you mm. can tell jokes that are really old. I yeah. think the best gig you can do is a joke is a gig that involves really old jokes, new jokes, but that you've that you've worked on for a little while, something you've totally made up off the top of your head. Yeah, and and I can't remember what the fourth one is, <laughs> and, uh, and and any good gig the fourth miss the secret ingredient that we never reveal yeah, to the public. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I don't know. I think that because I love improvising, but I think sometimes you know, for example, when you're sort of starting out, some people say, oh, "Yeah, I, I'll improvise," and that's really good. But you kind of lose something by saying that's what I'm going to do. What mm. you need is something is a kind of road that you're on, so that when you stray off it, everyone knows how exciting it is that you've strayed off it. Yes. Whereas if you're straying and that's what you're doing, it's like, well, now we're just straying. Um, so you need, you need, you need, you need to, the ad libs and stuff need to come up through the cracks. So you need to work on the bricks as well. Uh, and, uh, and the other thing is I do that gets you known is I like to tell the things I'm saying to individual people. Mm-hmm. And that makes things, that will make a, a line 10% funnier. If, it's, sure. if I remember to just tell it to someone and, and actually do it, not just fake it. It's not just eye contact. I, I, that's something I do. If there's anything I repeat is that if I feel like I'm hitting a punchline, I will tell it to an individual in sure. the audience. Now that, I mean, that's something I would kind of group under stagecraft. And is that something that you think you've learnt through doing stand-up? Did you, have you seen anyone else doing that and think, hey, that's great? Have you hit upon it yourself? I've hit upon it myself. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know now. I've been doing it that long. I don't know how much I've been influenced by other people. I know that as a stand-up, I didn't come to it as a fan of stand-up. I came to it as a performer looking for somewhere to show off. Gotcha. So, you know, and I think to, to, to a large extent, I think that my persona, although it's changed a lot, my kind of onstage self was established before I wrote any jokes or did any comedy gigs mm-hmm. from my old job where I used to fall over in pyjamas in European schools. So, <laughs> you know, so there was a lot of crossover. I'm, I'm sort of really fascinated by that, but obviously at the same time, I think it's kind of nice not to know, I think we know any enough. other details about that. <laughs> that's enough. And so that's what led to my whole kind of, here I am, I'm going to do something stupid, I love myself, but I'm a twat kind of act, which, yeah. which I still do now, although it's a lot more, you know, I think it's a lot closer to me, but that is really what I'm like. Dude, that's interesting that you, you think it's, it's become closer now to what you're actually like. This is more honest or you're more relaxed, you're more prepared to... to to believe in yourself as being the funny thing. And I think I just do less acting. I just spent that much time on stage, you just you get less and less, but you, 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 you emulate less and less, and, and it's more, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I, it's so hard. This, this, you should ask someone else this about my act. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, you know, you, I think that I said, because I think people Can I ask your me, wife? Do I sound like myself on stage? Yes, definitely. And more so than I used to? She said, yes, definitely, and yes. Excellent. That, I, I'm, I'm going to make a rule from now on for anyone I interview, they have to bring their wife. 
<laughs> well, it's going to be difficult for some people. Yeah. Well, they yeah. have to. Find if they want to be on the podcast, get married quickly. They've got to put the legwork in. <laughs> um, but I think you know, because I always have this. But again, this is sort of paranoia. But I think in the nature, there's some you know, this kind of cheesy pop culture kind of angle I have. I think a lot of times, and maybe earlier on more so, people assumed it was less honest than it is. I think you could also give an mm. opinion on this. I think once you get to know me, you realise, oh, that is actually what he's like. Yeah, <laughs> he does, he does <laughs> jokes that bad all day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that um, uh, superficially, ostensibly, my act looks a lot more considered, a lot more affected yes. than, than it actually is. I think that's right. I think that's right. I think oh, it's, there are elements of, unless, unless now, absolutely, elements of you being cheesy um, that actually having seen you years ago, they even though it was more cheesy back then, there is still real warmth to it. And that I think that's one of the things that maybe you don't know about yourself or maybe you do, that that whilst you're doing kind of cheesy pop culture, you know, when will the Queen die kind of stuff. And that's... Uh, and that's got to be a week off work right there. <laughs> it's a lovely bit. <laughs> um, but... Um, People don't but, really like it these days. She's got a bit old for that. Too many really? Like that. Is that right? Has that joke not worked? <laughs> Rob used to open by going, when, oh, when, will the Queen die? And it, it was just a, a wonderful, warm beginning. Well, it but, certainly kind of set a tone. Well, no, but that's, that's my point. It, it's, it, it may have been sort of cheesy and big and uh, maybe a bit brash, but at the same time, the brashness was undercut by how warm it was. It was just, a, you know, a warm way to, to wish death on our beloved monarch, <laughs> whom I would support with my life. Yes, me too. Yeah. Um... So uh, I felt briefly like we were living in a country where we had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, do you remember that podcast for the, for the comedy scene that um, Stalin suppressed? In, yep. uh, and that was a great, good time. Bad, bad, bad news. Bye. Bye-bye. Oh, Jimmy, thanks for coming. That's not a walkout. That was a, a pre-planned person that had to leave and made the effort to come despite that. But a big royalist nonetheless. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, where were we? So, yeah, yeah so you were the, the honesty, the honesty of you on stage. You feel you've become more like yourself. Yeah, but I also think I always was, and I think it's just easier to see that now. Yeah. But going back to the, yeah, that's what I'm like, that's persona. You were talking about kind of joke form. I think that I probably like a lot of, I was talking to another comedian about this yesterday, and he was saying he thought that we were from a kind of, a sort of demographic where mm. it's harder to be a kind of truth teller and say, this is this about this, because we were a bit kind of traditionally English and apologetic. And then we're, then we're into that, you know, that to be kind of... Uh, so when you say we, do you mean... Uh, me and him. Comics, you and this... Okay, uh, um, and we were kind of like middle class and English. And basically your first position is, sorry, yeah. that is culturally, that's my first position on anything. Sorry, you know, that if I was, um, uh, you know, working in the UK circuit and like Australian or American, I could come on and say, oh, I think this. And that's like a natural position In, in an take. accent that's precisely halfway between Australian and American. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> but I couldn't do that. I'm not going to say, I'm going to say, look, I think this. Sorry, that's, that's yeah. where I'm coming from. So, a lo so, so much of it becomes jokes about what you're not joking about. All my natural joke forms are all about the unsaid. I've got a bit where I do a song and then I just stop and it doesn't go anywhere. And the fact that it didn't go anywhere is the joke. Which, what song was it? I remember you did this. The last time I saw you was oh, in Bristol it. at the Comedy it's, Box. Um, it's um, uh, Around the World by Daft Punk. <laughs> yeah, I remember. You just sing it for a bit. Yeah, and, and again, I, and I didn't, there's no way I could have written it. It's totally, no. I totally found that on stage. I had this idea, it was going to, I'd record it and then I'd use it for something. So I uh, recorded it and then I stopped and I realised that, that everyone was thinking, right, where's that going? And I went, 
so, and I talked about something else. Yeah. And it got this massive laugh. And then I thought, oh, well, I won't do the other thing now because that's funny. So, so I kept it like that. So it's nice. It's kind of basically this bit where there's no joke at all that kind of wrote itself. Mm-hmm. So it's just feedback. And that yeah. is really, that's, the, that's what I want all my set to be. Do you, when you're constructing a set, when you decide what you're going to do, or do you decide what you're going to do before you walk out, or do you just have a mass of stuff that's on your mind that you're gigging with at the moment, and you go, right, I'll open with my opening joke, and then let's see what happens? I think a lot of times I try and be the person who walks on and just sees what happens. Mm-hmm. But in real terms, you see what happens, and then it's really good. So the next night you do it, and it's really good. And then you, and then you end up doing that, that way around for months. Mm-hmm. And you have to introduce some kind of rogue element, some jeopardy. Chuck in a bit to, of jeopardy. Uh, you yeah. know, have to say, you're not allowed to do this tonight, or the guitar's broken, or, mm-hmm. or this club have heard these jokes. And you need that to make you go back to the place where you go, I don't know what's going to happen. That gig you were talking about in Bristol, I went on in the beginning, and just the only thing I had for before I started playing the guitar was, um, uh, don't do any of the stuff you normally do at the beginning. Okay. So I just had That's nothing. a good rule. I just had I do be funny for 5 minutes without doing any of the jokes you normally do. Mm-hmm. That was what I had planned for that night. And I think it was I can't remember what I said, but the performance principle was what was useful. And you need that. You need the things and it leads right back around to setting yourself up for gigs you have to do like Edinburgh or whatever that force you to have new material because otherwise you could just get your good 20 minutes together and do it again and again for the rest yeah. of your life. I think I think there's definitely a dynamic there's kind of a spectrum on which Individual acts decide. I've got. I have a I've actually got a, like a Mac. I mean, spectrums these days are very kind of always working. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the audience's uh, sarcastic laughter speak for me. Um, I uh, I think that you need to decide. You need to decide um, whether your primary responsibility or what what is your what is your responsibility? Is it to yourself as a comic to be running in new stuff and trying things out, or is it to the gig to smash the socks off it if you can? which is yeah. a new phrase that I've made up. Yeah. Um, or is your responsibility... Smashing socks don't really marry, do they? Smash the socks! Yeah, I think, I, think I'm, <laughs> I think I started saying, like, smash the bricks out or something awful, and then yeah. mid-sentence, like, that's awful, go nicer. Yeah. So smash the socks off it. Um, or, you know, because another, another argument would be that your responsibility is to just absolutely belt the gig in order to start growing an audience and growing a reputation and... And, those and then there's things. another thing you throw in, which is that you obviously, on the one hand, you have to always do great gigs. You never know who's in. There is no, that's okay, second rate gig, that's okay. But yeah. on the other hand, you can't rely on your material. And you always will. And when you're worried about a gig, you always think, oh, what joke shall I do? And ultimately, the material is just a means to an end. Uh, and you have to always remind yourself of that. Mm-hmm. So if, if opportunity means you can't do the, these jokes... Oh, no, I can't do those jokes. Those are my bankers. Those are going to be really funny. You have to go, oh, well, I'll do different jokes. What's your opinion? What's your opinion generally, given that you're someone who's quite interactive with Mm -hmm. your audience? You like sort of asking questions and being on the fly. You know, those those elements of free fall and crisis where... Mm -hmm. You have, to, you have to step up to the plate somehow. You have yeah. to answer the question. There's a lot of negativity there, though. I never think of them as free fall or crisis. Okay. <laughs> well, once again, we're learning more <laughs> yeah, about me yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love risk of death. That's yeah. it. But I, and I really don't. I'm not, you know, in life, I don't crave danger. I'm not extreme. You um, went on ultimate wipeout. On to- what was it? To- total, total wipeout? Wipe- yeah, yeah. But that's not quite the same as jumping out of a plane. It's, uh, there no, is a preposterousness do you not? That. Do you not think, though, that on stage, you're, do you not think you're better in a moment of, uh, maybe crisis isn't the right word, but do you know what I mean? It's like the, the equivalent being, if you write a joke on your own, 
it's actually funnier when you've got to step your game up. Or the fact we're doing this in front of an audience, as we were saying before, oh, yeah. to the, make us step our game up. So there is some pressure there. Yeah, and also I think you, that's why you, want, you have to, uh, and, you know, I stray into dangerous areas here, I think, but I think people have to watch the old comedy snobbery because mm. people are very into, you know, like very writerly acts who do very sort of interesting and challenging stuff and often in a very um, friendly context. And I think you have to allow for the fact that the, uh, the tough gigs, the kind of Christmas parties and the stag and Hindus of the world will lead to good gigs. I remember going to do a run of Christmas gigs in Brighton, and it was in Brighton, and it was a comedian. So it, you know, this wasn't a horrific booking by any means. It's one of the nicest clubs anywhere, and they were good people. But the gigs were tough because they were Christmas parties, and everyone was overexcited, and there was a lot of uh, crowd control, and it, it was a bit like. Uh, it was much more like being in a rodeo than normal gigs. Um, uh, and on the first night, I thought, oh, this is going to be tough. And I went out there, and pretty much, and there's a lot less um, sort of ad libby interaction stuff because all that energy is soaked up by telling people not to talk and taking the piss out of people and then getting back to the jokes you were going to do, which in turn have to be hilarious, otherwise they'll just shout you off the stage. So, um, But nevertheless, I go and think, this is going to be tough, and then you kind of ride the rodeo, and then at the end, it was good. And then the next night, you think, well, it's going to be even tougher tonight. And it was tougher the next night, but it went well, and I handled the crowd, and then it was good. And it went on that, and it escalated and escalated, and I'm thinking, this is the night when it's going to go. And then in the end, you get to the end of a three-night run, or I'm thinking of other gigs as well, or a five-night run, in this sort of tough situation. And uh, I suppose if, if even one of those gigs went wrong and someone had to get chucked out or you got into a row with someone, then you'd have this terrible memory of the whole experience, the whole weekend or, or week in this club. But if you get through all of them like that week in Brighton and they're all good and, and you've, you feel like they escalated, even if they didn't, mm -hmm. then you suddenly realise that not only it all went well, but they were as good, they were more fun because of all that jeopardy and danger and challenge. It made you have to really, yeah, just work that much harder and hit all the jokes that much harder. And if you'd been in a theatre doing a run to all these people who liked you anyway, you wouldn't have had nearly so much, A, fun, or B, difficulty. It's, it's a tricky one because I do think that that need to resolve a challenge can sometimes really benefit a gig. But at the same time, I've had the conversation with friends and with people after gigs who I didn't know, audience members, um, about heckling and whether that's ever a positive thing. Yeah. Because people can feel, you, you, you always get, you know, it's a classic thing in comedy, someone heckles you, you find it really problematic, they come, but you deal with it, you deal with it well, and they come up and go, hey, I helped you there, got your back. Oh yeah, the, the, really, the real pain in the ass heckler will always come up to you after the gig and tell you that they were helping. Yeah, yeah. Even if fail. even if security have been involved and you've and you've called them the worst names you know over yeah. and over again, or you've got the rest of the audience to bellow at them mm. uh, 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 abuse on your behalf, they'll still come up to you afterwards and say, so, "Yeah, I helped you out there, didn't I?" Yeah. So, I mean, I, I try to dissuade people whenever I'm chatting to them socially. I always go, "No, no, no we." I mean, I always say we would much rather we comics as a whole would always much rather you sat down, shut up and listened to all the stuff we've carefully crafted. But I know even as I'm saying that, that isn't the whole story. It's not theatre. You know, and occasionally no. there'll be, a, and, and, there, and there's no right answer really, because absolutely right, you, uh, you, you can't have interaction. It's a bit like in life when people say, we believe in the right to protest, but really don't get angry and smash things up. It's like, well then, well let's not bother protesting. Yeah. This strike is going to be really inconvenient. <laughs> well, yeah, 
that's how strikes work. <laughs> you know, and, and it's the same with uh, people joining in. You can't have people just join in on your terms, although that is what you can that, plan. That's effectively what you'd like to say to yeah. them. It's like, hey, I helped you there. Yeah, and do you know what? Every time you help me in future, could you have sort of subtlety and an awareness of the tone and the audience and the rest of it? Could you throw things, to, you know, if you want this to be a double act, yeah. it can work. And ultimately, you, it will work okay because you can, you know, if someone is an idiot, you can then they'll show it. And if you're good, then you'll show the audience that they're an idiot. And then in the ideal world, world they'll shut up but even in an all ideal world they'll eventually get chucked out uh, <laughs> and then uh, you know and then other times people are funny and sometimes they're funny at your expense but they're still really funny and everyone liked it so you've got to let that happen as well and that's obviously very good for one's ego because you're up there thinking I'm the man and then someone's funnier than you at your expense mm. you're like well, well done it's <laughs> a yeah. so win for you <laughs> and that's good for all of us um, in terms of... Uh, it makes you feel kind of Rupert Murdoch humble when that happens. I feel really so, humble today. Not humble. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just actually really pissed off and I want it to go away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that kind of humble. Um, in terms of people's uh, opinions of you and uh, we're talking about ego and things like that, do you, uh, are you someone that subscribes to reading reviews when you go up to Edinburgh? Do you avoid them like the plague? What's I am absolutely... I'm not on the fence, I would read them. But when it comes down to it, I, I thought people not reading them was a lie and was a ridiculous thing. And now I know that it's not true. That Genuinely, the, people avoid them, don't they? Yeah, people avoid them. And it's the right thing to do. You, you, oh. you will always remember them. The ones you hate will upset you. The ones you, that are positive, you still won't like because reviews, particularly of stand-up comedy, are terrible. And I know this. I've done enough Edinburgh's... No, I've, I've not gone to enough Edinburgh festivals and read all the reviews to feel that I objectively know that the reviews are terrible. You, see, you can't catch it. And in fact, I don't think you can go to a comedy show and analyse it and see it clearly. The moment you start thinking, what do I think of this? You're a rubbish audience member. That's that, you know, because you need to let go and be, be free. Yeah. Fly like so a bird. the fact of someone having written a review means that they've failed. Yeah, the fact that someone started to think, what do I think of this gig? That's when their opinion of the gig became... Invalid. <laughs> oh, yeah, love it. Um, so, but on the other hand, you know, it happens. It's part of the world. And, uh, and even when you get a good review, you read these things, you think, yeah, but that's not what, you know, and it's terrible. But on the other hand, I can't bear not knowing. So the best one was, the, was 2008 when I managed, I didn't read any of my reviews and I had a kind of system whereby they'd tell me if I was reviews and I knew what, whether they were good or bad, but I didn't read a word of them and I was protected from them. And then on the very last night of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, I got drunk and I read them all. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. They weren't great. <laughs> um, let's talk. For, oh, we, we will just uh, sort of ask to throw this to the floor. Uh, if there's any questions, I'm aware now, because we're at the Top Secret Comedy Club in London's Glittering Covent Garden, uh, there are some people who have filtered in for the comedy show who don't know what this is. So uh, can we have any questions apart from who are you and what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Rob does uh, uh, a show called Beat This, which mm -hmm. is a musical panel game. And our uh, questioner was asking, what did you ask? <laughs> how <laughs> did it asking, come how, about? How did it come about? Yeah, and how does it... Well, it's, it's, it's a beat, beat This is a, yeah, it's a, it's a quiz show. Um, it's a pop music... It's a pop quiz panel game. And it, it came about totally externally. Someone came to me and said, we're making up this pop quiz and we'd like you to host it, but also to kind of make it up because it was very they had a very loose idea and they wanted me to do it but me to to do it to kind of come up with it because it's so you well that's it i mean i kind of led it that way because i talked to them about it a bit and then we pitched it to whoever they wanted to pitch it to and they said nope no thanks um <laughs> but by that time i'd made it up so i made it up more and eventually i thought yeah we're, we're like i work with them and we put it on as a, i thought it'd be a 
nice um, way to do showcase skills beyond that kind of 20 minute set we've been talking about so to be able to do a show which had lots of the musical stuff I do in it and also lots of talking and bantering and, and all that kind of stuff um, and so that's how that came about but then it's that classic thing again that we've covered which is that I we stopped developing it and I started just putting it on mm -hmm. just as an opportunity to do it on stage not least because I don't think there's a nice kind of freedom with it because I don't think anyone will ever pick it up while well, never mind the buzzcocks exists not in a bad way it's just like that you know there's no need for another one it's not the same but that's fine but it, does, it, it gives it a freedom it means it can kind of exist in its own sort of live space and uh, and i love being uh working with other people it's something is like going right back to the kind of touring thing the other thing about stand-up is that in performance it's completely solitary and i don't i don't want to be in a double act or anything but uh being on stage and talking to other people is, is really nice <laughs> and uh and yeah and i love it now now it's nothing all that development stuff has gone away just doing it and this Edinburgh it was the best it's been it was such good fun and uh, because that's all it is it's beat this in Edinburgh it's and it's just fun for everyone for it's off duty you yeah. know and that's what the audience knows that as well it feels like something you do when you're not doing all those things you're supposed to worry about um, and that was brilliant but it's interesting how yet again with stuff that I like doing it wasn't my idea it just came from you know I like it's feedback again it just came about but I just um, nurtured it uh, would you please join me in thanking Mr Rob Deering no, thank you. So that was it. That's the first show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I thought we got some great stuff out of that. I, I should say as well, what, one of my, uh, I might have mentioned at the beginning, one of my plans with this is it'd be the sort of thing that people want to listen to on their way back and, and from gigs, uh, to and from gigs. And uh, if that's the case, then I would stress for acts that aren't being paid yet, for people that are still at open spot space, uh, who are open spot space, open spot level, who are zooming up and down the country uh, in the pursuit of something that seems like an impossible dream. But one day, should you pull it off, will soon seem like a very close up nightmare. Um, don't be tempted. I would think it's probably sensible not to be tempted to lie about your levels of experience. Of course, I have to say that. I don't have to say that. I'm not the BBC. Do what you want. Lie. It's fine. Um, but uh, that's that's probably um, that's the way lots of people used to get into it. But now, my God, there's so many acts. I'm sure people will get wise to that. So I want to improve. I want this to be as useful to you as, as possible, as much as I enjoy doing it myself. So send me your feedback, your questions, um, any recommendations for comedians you'd like me to try and track down and talk to, uh, any questions you'd like them to be asked. Um, tell me if you think it's too long or too short. I might ignore you. Um, tell me if you've got loads of money to give me so that I can uh, do this professionally. I don't need to do it professionally, but some money would be nice. That'd be good. Yeah, so random donations, that'd be lovely. Um, it'd be nice to pay Dan. Dan Melrose did the music, and uh, it'd be good to give him some cash. That'd be good. Um, so send me emails and money uh, to info at stuartgoldsmith.co.uk. Um, and try and uh, track it down. I guess we're going to try and get this up on SoundCloud and iTunes. Maybe that's somewhere where you got it from. Um, and we will try and uh, put it everywhere we can. We'll we'll have a Twitter thing before long, but I don't know what it is yet. And uh, there's also a Facebook page, the Comedians Comedian Podcast Facebook page. So have a little look for that. There's a link to that on my website, which is stuartgoldsmith.co.uk. So thank you, everybody involved in the making of it. As I said, Dan, Railrose, Dan Melrose for the, the music. Uh, Tom Wateracre for technical support. He's fantastic. Mark Rothman at the topsecretcomedyclub.co.uk. And also, that exists offline in the real world. Um, so I thought I'd try and smuggle in the, uh, the web address to save time in the title. But now, look, it's, it's tripled the amount of time it's taken to describe it. Thanks to Pete Dobbing for his help. And also Asher Trelevin for uh, creative assistance. 
and of course to Mr Rob Deering for, uh, for agreeing to be interviewed and thank you to you for making it this far. There's now a lovely little bit of music to take us home. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 